Hey, TYT, I'm Nomi Konst. So we've been covering this thing in New York that you may have heard of called the IDC. The IDC is the Independent Democratic Conference, and they are a group of democratically elected senators. They're from Democratic districts, and they have been caucusing, conferencing with Republicans. Now, what does that mean for, for the state of New York? Well, that means that at a time when Democrats don't have control uh, pretty much anywhere in the country, you have a state like New York, which is uh, overwhelmingly democratically registered, that people are members of the Democratic Party, they're progressive leaning. You have a assembly, an assembly that was elected to be democratically controlled. You have a governor that's a Democrat. And you actually had a Senate that was elected to turn Democratic uh, a few years ago. But the result is the Republicans control the Senate and are blocking everything. And that is because you have these eight turncoat Democrats that we've covered over the last year and a half that are conferencing with Republicans, handing over all the power to Republicans. So people have been enraged. They've been protesting for the last year and a half. It's been going on a lot longer. But something about Trump, something about realizing what was happening in our own backyard in New York uh, enraged folks because they wanted New York to be uh, the progressive beacon for the rest of the country. Because if it happens in New York, it's likely it could happen nationwide. We have a candidate who is running against the ringleader of the IDC. His name is Jeff Klein. He's a senator. There's a lot of backstory as to why uh, he is the ringleader of the IDC and how he uh, is in the room with the leaders of the Assembly and the Republican leader of the Senate and the governor when negotiating things like the budget, even though he was not elected as the leader among Democrats. Uh, he's had some scandals, and he is uh, being protested <laughs> by a lot of anti-IDC folks. Well, a whole slew of candidates have popped up, and they are challenging these IDC members in all of the districts. And we have Alessandra Biaggi from the 34th district, the Senate district, which is uh, includes parts of Westchester, New York, which is just outside the city, for those of you who aren't familiar. And Alessandra and I met last year. We had a very long conversation about her potential race. Um, and it was enlightening. And I immediately saw someone with a lot of energy and inspiration and thoughtfulness. And now she's out there campaigning against Jeff Klein. She's been endorsed by the WFP, 60 progressive organizations around the state, uh, and we have have the privilege of speaking with her today. So, Alessandra, thank you so much for joining us on TYT. Thank, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's such a pleasure and an honor to be with someone who is leading and is a leader in the movement. It is remarkable to be talking to you today. Oh, goodness, stop it. <laughs> So, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about your background and what got you to this point, because this is this is an unusual situation. You are running against one of the most powerful politicians in New York. Mm -hmm. How do you feel right now that you're in the race as you run yeah. against this guy who's known for dirty tricks? Right, exactly. So how we got here and how I feel. So I feel very confident. I have to say from, a, from a, two months ago in January when I filed until now, a lot has happened. It has been many evolutions of different things progressing, and it is we are moving in a positive direction. As you mentioned, we have been endorsed by 60-plus grassroots organizations last Thursday. 
as far as my team and I have looked back, it's almost unprecedented for something like that to happen. So that shows you that there is a lot of momentum um, and anti-IDC sentiment. We also have been endorsed by uh, the Working Families Party and Run for Something, um, as well as Vote Pro-Choice. And so all of these things have led me, I mean, of course, the endorsements are you know, the most important part of it, but having the grassroots movement and those people behind us as well has shown us that not only are people mad about what's happening in New York, but that they're ready to do something. So they're taking that at that fire and that anger and they're turning it into action. And so that's giving me a lot of hope. It's giving me a lot of courage and it's keeping me motivated every day because as you I'm sure know, just from working on a campaign, campaigns are this interesting ride. It's like a roller coaster where you, I mean, literally minute to minute, you can be really excited. And then you get on the next call with somebody and they're like, you know, this is a really hard race. And I had to stop and think to myself, like, well, I didn't know that, you know, like (laughs) this is, of course, this is a hard race, right? We're going up again. I'm going up against the boss of this breakaway group who has, you know, he, he touts himself for, you know, bringing home the bacon to the district. But the more that we peel away at this caricature of a politician, the more that we see things that are able to show us that there are vulnerabilities, that we are able to make inroads in the community, and that there is a certain path to victory. And a lot of that, of course, that path to victory is with the grassroots movement. So I'm feeling good, but I'm also feeling like there's a lot of work ahead. And I'm certainly not deluding myself into thinking that this is something that's going to be one easy. I mean, I've, I've mentioned this many times. I'm ready to knock on the doors until my knuckles bleed. And nothing has changed about that. But I am, I am excited because what is happening in New York State is a complete atrocity. And it's honestly, it's an embarrassment. The rest of the country looks to us to be this, like, as you mentioned, this progressive beacon of change. And we are not able to pass things that not only that, you know, are idealistic, but New York is a democratic state. There are a majority of democratic voters in this state. So, so voters are demanding these pieces of legislation to be passed. And our state senators are not bringing these, these pieces of legislation to the floor. So all of that combined, I mean, there's of course so more, but all of that combined just shows me that post 2016, we are in this ripe territory to really push the the uh, the mountain or push ourselves up the mountain in a way that we may not have been able to pre-2016. So as I mentioned, there's a lot of work ahead, but I'm very, very much excited to to embark upon that. It's interesting because uh, the excuses that they give for why they exist, you know, we're progressive, you know, the, the devil's in the details. <laughs> they push forward legislation that goes nowhere. That's right. uh, you know, they don't, if they were in the Democratic conference, all that legislation we passed, it would be signed right. at the governor's desk. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, criticism of the IDC and that why are they doing this? You know, is mm-hmm. it because they want the perks? Uh, they've cut this deal with Republicans so that they have bigger offices, they have more pay, they have more staff. Uh, for instance, they have a, their own communications director who gets paid twice as much as the senators do. Uh, right. That doesn't exist in the, the mainline Democrats, which is the, 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 the actual Democratic conference. Right. Um, but ultimately, you know, for those who've been watching for a while, something that it benefits the governor. The governor can pick and choose which legislation he wants to champion rather than being forced to champion certain legislation or sign legislation that would be passed by a Democratic and a, and a uh, Assembly and Senate. Mm-hmm. So this is complicated, right? It took us there a year is. and a half to get this reporting out so that our audience understands it. You get a couple of minutes on the phone, you know, outside of a, a, a you know grocery store, shaking hands with people, knocking right. on doors. And right. 
your district is um, very underfunded. And very much. In fact, hundred this district is owed $102 million in public school funding. So that's one of the problems, as you mentioned. Yep. And you have a couple of uh, folks there who are some of the biggest charter school proponents uh, right. in the state. And the IDC is funded by charter schools. That's right. And real estate, two big issues right. in your district. So how are you able to communicate all of this simply? I, that the great this is like one of this is the one of the best questions and one of the hardest questions because to be really honest before making the decision to run I thought to myself how can I communicate this in a way that I distill all the stuff that I know that took me a year truly or longer to even understand what was going on so being on the inside right and and working at the highest levels of government I was having a really hard time understanding what the IDC was or what they were doing and were they really democrats and so when I stepped away to try to distill the information, I thought to myself, okay, if somebody came up to me in the street, how could I, as you know, the average voter, understand what's going on? And simply put, it's like this. You have a group of eight state senators. They are running as Democrats. They are elected by you as the voter as a Democrat. They are in the district and they're pretending to be a Democrat and they're talking the talk as Democrats. But when they go up to Albany, what they're doing is handing over the keys to the state Senate to the to Trump Republicans and working only and voting only with these Republicans. And that in in return is making New York State not really not be a, a true Democratic majority. It's actually a GOP Trump majority. So understanding that simply and 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 communicating that the reaction no matter who I'm talking to, to be honest, this is actually kind of funny. When I'm talking to Republicans about this, they're like, what do you mean? Why is he, why is he lying? If he's a Republican, why doesn't he just, why doesn't he just say he's a Republican? And I'm like, well, that's such a great question. And the answer to that is because he'll actually lose if he runs as just simply a Republican in this district because there's a majority of Democratic voters. And you see this across all of the IDC districts across the entire state. And so the more and more that we can say that, you know, this person is pretending to be a Democrat. They are, they're in your face and they're deceiving you. Nobody wants to be deceived. A, a really good friend of mine said, it's very much like the milk campaign. You know, everyone was told for such a long time, drinking milk is really good for you, right? And then all of a sudden it was like, no, drinking milk is bad for you. And then all of a sudden people were so mad. They were like, I thought milk was good for your bones. And it's kind of similar here. It's like, you know, vote, if you're a Democrat, you're loyal. And going in that booth, you're gonna vote D down the line. And nobody wants to feel as if they were tricked to be in, in their loyalty. And so it's making people very angry. And even people who are on the fence who said, you know, you know, your opponent has done a lot for me, but this is not cool. And yeah. I'm really concerned about what's going on. And we as New York State need to be the beacon for progressive governance across the entire country. And states like California and Colorado and Nevada and Washington and Oregon are lapping us. Yeah. And for us to even say that we are progressive, it's, it's just such, it's a fallacy. It's not even reality. So it's time to blow the top off of it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and speaking is part of it. Uh, what are some of the issues that are being blocked right now by the IDC? My gosh, there's so many of them. There, I have a list of almost 25 pieces of blocked legislation, and that's only the beginning. But to go down the list to start, so you have tenants' rights and affordable housing. The IDC and all of its members are notorious for taking uh, contributions from real estate developers. Now, that doesn't mean real estate developers are the devil. However, it's very much a pay-to-play. And so, right, exactly. It's, some of them are, right. So, what, so what's happening is 
these IDC members are taking contributions from real estate developers. And then when they go to Albany, they're not passing or getting behind legislation that can actually protect the tenants, like closing loopholes. Right. I mean, there are loopholes in our in our laws that, that are egregious and, and just crazy when you look at them. And that's just one piece. So that's, that's affordable housing and tenants' rights. Then you have immigrants' rights and the DREAM Act. I mean, these are simple things that New York stands for. New York is the place, it's the melting pot of the entire nation. Mm-hmm. Immigrants is are, are a... Um, it, it defines New York. It, de- it defines who we are as people. Women's rights and the Reproductive Health Act and the Comprehensive Contraceptive Coverage Act. These are bills. The Reproductive Health Act has been pending for 10 legislative sessions. That is insanity. And I want to share something with you that is actually really important. So I've worked on this bill and I didn't understand why it wasn't passing. And I got on the phone with somebody who had worked for the Spitzer administration and they shared something with me. And they said, you know, the first iteration of this bill 10 years ago, it had words in it like menstrual and ovaries. And I was like, yeah. Wow. And they were like, well, you know, these are these are words that made the men in the room feel very uncomfortable. So I said, okay, and so what, you know, what's the long and short of that? What does that really mean? And she said, well, they said those words were icky, so we had to remove them. So this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with individuals who are at the table, who are not comfortable with women's rights and women's health. And and, and let me add one thing to that, because yes, there's, some, there's yes. an interesting point here. Uh, if... The IEC, if all these, if, 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 if the Democrats win in 2016 and mm-hmm. suddenly the Democrats control the Senate again, you have a leader who is a female. I mean, she's also a woman right. of color. It's never happened before. Right. And she would be in the room during budget negotiations exactly. to defend. Exactly. Not to mention right now they're debating <laughs> sexual yeah. assault yeah. and harassment right. uh, reform right. with the person, your right. opponent, who is an allegation against him for sexual harassment and assault. Uh, And he is now in the room negotiating the new policies without the person who would be the female woman of color who would be the Senate leader in that room. And that is like the... um the, the cherry on top of the terribleness. It's the parade of horribles. That is literally the top of it. There is nothing more egregious. I, I, I truly cannot wrap my head around the fact that the entire country is waking up to what is going on with the Me Too movement, with you know post-2016 and the Trump administration, and New York is asleep at the wheel. It's like completely insane. You have four men in a room talking about sexual harassment policies, and one of them was accused of sexual misconduct. What what kind of what kind of um, leadership is that? What kind of 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 lead are we being in this country? We are not le- we are not the leaders that we all thought we were, and this is why these individuals have to be replaced. And to that point too, you know, it's not a. Um, it's it's not so difficult to invite women into the room, but they don't want to, mm-hmm. and that should be a message that sent that is sent to everybody across this state, and and also should should underscore the fact that these races in these eight districts are not just district races; these races are statewide races. And if you take it to the next level, if we if we all are are victorious in in September and November. The result is a Democratic majority that actually does pass progressive legislation, which means that people who are true Democrats and progressives like, you know, Attorney General Schneiderman, Mm -hmm. that when he's he's filing his lawsuits against the Trump administration, that there's actually teeth in those lawsuits and he Mm -hmm. can protect us because he's going up against the Trump administration every single day. And the laws in the state are not even are not even strong enough to protect him. So there's only so much he can do. And it's just it's it's the time is up for that. It's enough completely is enough. And this is this is like, if not the most important race, the one of the most yeah. important races in the state and, and, and the country, which is which is um, 
a challenge and also it makes me excited because it's so important. So my job is to make sure everybody hears about it and, and knows all the things that they can do to get involved. Before we wrap up, Alessandra, I want to talk uh, just for a couple minutes about your history. Yeah. You, you, we had a really wonderful conversation about your time on the, on the Hillary campaign, which yes. I think is important for our audience to know because I, I'm not afraid to say I was on the Bernie campaign. I was a surrogate. Yes. Uh, so I said, I was like, you're so progressive. How? <laughs> Where did this come from? Tell me your story because I, I think this is interesting. Yes. So I think a lot of it is it's interesting, right? Because I had, so working on in the presidential election in 2016, it was my first election I'd ever worked on. So I get this opportunity. I'm, I'm in the new leaders council as a fellow and I'm learning, you know, how can I get involved in state and local government and be a progressive leader in my community? And I sit down next to this person and they happen to be the director of talent for the Clinton campaign. They take my resume. Director they send of it talent? Over. Yes. Okay. Who, by we the way, I, should, one of those. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And full disclosure, by the way, this is kind of like ridiculous, but funny, I guess, how these things happen in politics. He's now my fiance, which is like a whole other story for another day. Casting. Like, he, I know, no, it's kidding, wild. It's completely wild. But he was like, you know, are you interested in working on a campaign? And I was like, yeah, okay, maybe. Given my resume, it turns out that I it was the Clinton campaign. So I got on the Clinton campaign. I do vetting for a year. After vetting, I'm like, this is like a conveyor belt. I have to get off this conveyor belt. It's crazy. I'm going to do something else. So I do not national operations. But it was during the primary that so th there were a few things that happened. One, they sent us to New Hampshire, 200 of us from headquarters. And the, we knew we were going to lose New Hampshire, that Bernie had a stronghold on New Hampshire. And it was when I was talking to the voters there that I realized that we were lacking something significantly. And that was, I mean, not only the, the talking points of what made people excited to want to vote for, for Hillary versus Bernie, but there was a passion and a fire that the Bernie supporters had that the Clinton supporters were like, yeah, we support her, but like there's something going on over there. Mm -hmm. And when we would watch in headquarters and also while we were on the trail in New Hampshire, the videos that Bernie would put out, it, when, when you talk about politics and you talk about changing hearts and minds, he was doing that so with such ease and he was galvanizing people in a way that made them turn on. And I'll never forget the Simon and Garfunkel uh, ad that he had. Oh my God. It was, I, I'll, I was sitting in headquarters thinking to myself like, I'm excited about him. And that was a, that was a, that was a scary moment for me, but also it made me realize like, you know, you can't just drink, you can't drink the Kool-Aid. You can't be in a place and just say this person is perfect and they're the beacon of everything. You have to be very much open-minded in politics because you have to see both sides of it. And there were a lot of positives of Bernie that myself, that people on my team were excited about. And so it wasn't surprising that we that the, that the Bernie campaign gave us a run for our money and that we went all the way to June yeah. and when we didn't think there would be a primary in June. But I mean, his his entire platform was more, it elicited more excitement in us than our own. So that was that was a hard thing to grapple with. And also it was challenging also to bring to the attention of those who had been in politics in you know the Clinton campaign for a long time. And so it was a reality. It was a reality. We were we were also excited about um, his candidacy and he would have been an excellent president. So on that just note, I'll give what it is. Wow. Uh, I will, I will leave it at that. I feel like that's a really good ending. <laughs> Alessandra Biagi, 34th district in New York running against Senator Jeff Klein, who has, uh, his own me too scandal, just a little cherry on top. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be watching this race very closely and we'll be in touch hopefully very soon. Thanks, Alessandra. Thank you so much, Nomi.